welcome to seniors and the people who love them. I'm Cookie. I'm Pinky. And I'm Wendy. Welcome to our 11th episode of our podcast. Today we will be discussing a topic that has been forefront in the minds of us as seniors and we as caregivers. This is the topic of dementia versus Alzheimer's disease. What is the difference? This information will be shared by not only Cookie, who is a certified dementia practitioner and Alzheimer's disease and dementia care trainer through the National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, but we also have a guest speaker who will help us to be able to differentiate between the two. Before we start, we have a disclaimer. Our weekly disclaimer is that we are not physician or lawyer. If you have a medical issue or legal issue, please speak to practitioner or lawyer to give you a professional advice. Guest speaker is Lisa Clark, who is also a certified dementia care practitioner and Alzheimer's disease and dementia care trainer. I have the pleasure of interacting with Lisa in my current role as a social services director in the CRC. But I want Lisa to tell us a little about herself as an expert in the field of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. But before Lisa begins, I first want to talk about my interest in the topic of dementia. Understanding dementia and Alzheimer's disease is very personal for me because my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease many years ago. And before her diagnosis, we as children noticed her memory loss and constant repetitive statements. In the beginning, we used to laugh because she was always forgetting something and then calling us up and saying the same thing to us. But as time progressed, we noticed that the symptoms continued and worsened until we as a family had to make some hard decisions about how we could best care for her. As I moved into the arena of healthcare, I learned more about this disease and decided to get the certification in this field. Lisa, would you expound on what you do as a certified dementia practitioner? And explain to us what dementia is. You may want to either expound on the different types of dementias, normal aging related to dementia, and the big one, Alzheimer's disease. And for our listening audience, you are in for a great learning experience. Hello, everyone. First, I want to introduce myself and give you a little insight as to what brought me to serving individuals with dementia. I've been a, a certified recreation therapist for almost 40 years now, and much of my early career was working in municipalities, local, as of therapeutic recreation programs. I did something amazing in the early 90s. I was married, and I was living and working in Northern Virginia, and my husband lived in Montgomery County, Maryland, and we had to decide who was going to cross the river, and <laughs> it turned out that I was moving to Maryland, and as a, of a department, there were a couple instances where my travel being about an hour and 20 minutes away was a little too far for me to feel that I could adequately support my team, so I've worked in lots of different settings, and I thought, what's something new for me? And I figured, what? Long-term care, the elderly population. And my job, I moved to a job in a continuous retirement community in Montgomery County, and I made an amazing discovery. The amazing discovery was all the skill sets that I had developed as a therapist over previous years made it a natural transition 
into serving people with this. And so I worked on a unit that had folks who were more toward the end stages of their disease process and had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the resonance and the stories that they had, be it past or present or nonsensical. My philosophy of dementia is has to do with a diamond. And I tell people to imagine the starting of your life that from birth to your present day, every moment in that life is a facet. Imagine how amazing a diamond would be. And diamonds come from coal. And so coal, let's say over time, would grow back over the diamond. And the perspective I have with that is, and I ask people, is the person still there? And the answer is absolutely. The person is still there. They just cannot communicate as they used to. And so that's really been my mantra. No matter what goes on, it's because of the disease, the person's still in there and they've had an amazing life. I really love so, that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Dementia or Alzheimer's, I'll start with that because that's a confusion. Is Alzheimer's a dementia? Is dementia and Alzheimer's? The answer is Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. However, Alzheimer's is so prevalent. It's the number one dementia. And I hope you like cake because if you take a piece of cake and you cut it into three pieces, two pieces typically account for Alzheimer's. And that wow. last one third accounts for all other types of dementias. So the question becomes, what makes Alzheimer's a dementia and what really is dementia? Dementia is what many people called an umbrella term. Many of you familiar with people who have cancer, that's an umbrella term. And underneath, there's lots of different types and combinations. So with dementia, there's hundreds of different types, but there's one thing that all people with dementia have. Dementia means that there's a progression of their ability to process. It affects frontal lobes of the brain, areas in the frontal parietal known as executive functions. Executive functions are something that tells us how to order things, what order things go in. If I'm making coffee, what steps do I need to take? It also helps with organizing thoughts and processing to problem solve. That's another big part. Those two things, there's a lot more, obviously, the executive functions. Shifting your brain from one thought to another is another example. But when Alzheimer's strikes and the brain begins to deteriorate, the areas of executive functions start dysfunctioning because of the disease. Now, that leads me to, okay, that's dementia. What else does dementia affect? To get specific, it affects memory, and there's different types of memory. And for many, short-term memory, then long-term memory, there's something called working memory, where your brain has to hold pieces if you're working on a project. And that's typically, for many dementias, affected early on in, in the disease process. Another thing that happens with dementia is what objects look like. Someone could potentially pick up a toothbrush and want to brush their hair. That loss of ability occurs in dementias, not all of them, but in many, toward the end stage of the disease process as people decline. 
language is a huge topic. We don't think about everything that's involved in language, but that also is greatly affected. Language can be the words I say, the words I hear, what word to use for what situation. And if you think about the English language, it is very complicated. And so when when you talk about a loss of language abilities, that has a huge effect on people that's caused by dementia. And so communication is an area that people with dementia are greatly affected. It's not even what you say. In fact, with dementias, it's important to know that as people have more struggles with words, what's being said and what's being done, then communication is lost in a unique way. Because if I have dementia and I start talking about a car in my mind, maybe I'm trying to say a bicycle, but it comes out car. So it's people call those kinds of things word salads. Imagine how I, frustrating that must be. Absolutely. And I wouldn't recommend trying a salad like that. Not very good. What makes Alzheimer's unique is how it progresses from beginning to end. With Alzheimer's, the first thing affected is short-term memory, term memory. And then what begins to fade from the damage to the brain are everything we learn in life. And it comes from things you learn most recently down to the end stage where it's things you learn like early chewing food, picking up a fork to eat with. Swallowing even. Swallowing. I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, all that stuff is affected. And with Alzheimer's, it goes circular. In the brain, you have your, your cortex, your cerebral cortex, which covers a big part of the covering in your brain. And everything with the cerebral cortex moves like the opposite of a clock. So it moves around the, the brain in a particular way. So there is a point that just becomes completely impaired and not usable per se at all. And then what happens is it starts to affect other parts of the brain. It, even early on, it affects your vision. It affects your hearing. And you're going around and it starts to affect, toward the end stage, emotions. And when it affects emotions, people might react in a particular way that doesn't make sense to us. Oftentimes, people will get really angry and they'll curse and they'll scream and they might strike out. They can't help it. They're doing the best they can. They have Alzheimer's. And we need to understand that because you move along a little bit more. And what happens is people start to have potentially hallucinations, seeing things that aren't there, becoming fearful of things that maybe are going to happen or they think may have happened to somebody else. And then finally, the end stage, our autonomic nervous system kind of shuts down. People's ability to breathe, the heart to pump properly, and that's the end stage of Alzheimer's. There's actually, if anyone wants to take a look, there's an old video called Alzheimer's in Three Minutes on YouTube, and it does a really nice job of kind of showing the progression of Alzheimer's. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So now there's some known Alzheimer's and not very well known. This is what I call the top 10 types of Alzheimer's. And number one, no surprise, is Alzheimer's. Underneath Alzheimer's is called Lewy body dementia. 
Another is something called Warnicky Korsakoff, and that's a type of dementia that people who had problems with alcoholism or eating disorders develop that type of dementia. And the interesting thing about it is they're actually two different things. Warnicky is a depletion of vitamin B. So if caught early enough, that can be reversed. The second part, which is the Korsakoff, that is a full-blown dementia, and it's not reversible at that point. How do practitioners determine what kind of dementia that you have? There are ways that practitioners can have tests. Some dementias you can absolutely determine and figure out, but other dementias you can't. For example, there are places that a doctor might recommend you go to for evaluation of dementia-related disorders. One is Johns Hopkins. They have an Alzheimer's and Memory Care Center. In, in the Baltimore area. The other one is through MedStar, there's something called the Successful, the Center for Successful Aging, and they also conduct testing. Counterpoint Health Services is in, I think, Luthimonium area. They have something fairly new called the Brain Health and Psychiatry Center. Alzheimer's, we don't know if you ha anyone has it until death, but what doctors do is they gather the evidence from all the testing, and they can determine. For example, there's a dementia called Pick's disease. And with Pick's disease, it affects parts of the brain that people tend to get a disorder where they'll pick anything up and want to eat it. And as people who get Pick's get it a little younger, maybe in their 40s or 50s, potentially, you'll see folks trying to eat their clothes. Yeah, I think I've had a patient with that before. It's crazy. Yeah. There's another thing called Huntington's disease. And with that disease, people get ticks often in the face and they have lots of swallowing issues. And so those, for example, could be an indicator that it's Huntington's disease. Lisa, going back to how that determination is made, and it's not going to be determined until an autopsy of that individual's brain. Now they have the spinal fluid that they tap to determine that too from the spinal fluid? Can you speak on that? Sure. The spinal fluid or a brain PET scan can identify the hallmark of Alzheimer's is people having what they call plaques and tangles, and that's what kills the cells. Through a spinal tap or, like I said, a PET scan, doctors are now able to get an idea of how much, if there's overproduction, amyloid plaques. And in fact, really recent, they had found a medication. There's two types of Alzheimer's. There's early onset and late onset. Late onset is age 65 and over. Early onset is when it's been diagnosed before the age of 65. People as young as in their 30s now diagnosing some with early onset mm. dementia. There's a brand new medication. It's called Linamab. It's designed to reduce markers of amyloid in the brain, it'll lessen the moderation how fast someone will progress through the disorder because early onset, people tend to progress more quickly. So it's not a cure, but it's a quality of life. And that was the, in the New England Journal of Medicine. The Food and Drug Administration had approved it. It passed right. all their tests for exactly. a quick change, but Medicaid wrote a very clear 
notation that that kind of a medication to decrease the amount of amyloid is not covered under Medicare insurance or Medicaid insurance, exactly. which is a shame. Something else that you stated was that there are some dementias that are reversible and some that are irreversible. Now, when we think of the reversible types of dementia, you want can you expound on what that would mean? Vascular dementia is the only dementia that the progression can be stopped because part of the vascular system and blood flow being impaired is what causes the dementia. If a physician can regulate things or reverse some of those issues, the brain, they'll clear up again to a point. The level they decline, it's not going to get better than their current level, but it can stop the continued progression, but it might reoccur later on in life or it might not. Another thing is delirium masks as a dementia. Yeah, it's very difficult. Delirium is a sudden onset with a definite beginning point. Like all of a sudden, it's not slow and gradual dementia would be. People misunderstand and think that might be a dementia because it can last for months, potentially, but it clears up after time. It's not permanent. It could be days, weeks, or in some cases, it could be even months. It can be deadly as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people oftentimes, when they're thinking a loved one has dementia, but in actuality is delirium, and delirium comes from maybe an urgent medical situation, you're seeing behaviors affiliated with the delirium that oftentimes mimic behaviors that are seen with people with different types of this. So in terms of the delirium, that too has to be evaluated and assessed by your practitioner. But yeah, um, prompt diagnosis is really important because I've seen it can have really dire ramifications if it's not treated in the proper way. Here's an issue that comes up. People have symptoms. It's scary. And so they want to hide those symptoms. But another example is thyroid. If there's issues with your thyroid, it can cause dementia-like behaviors, confusion and different things. So it's really important that even though it looks like dementia, that you ask your physician for a workup. On the Alzheimer's Association, they have wonderful information things that a physician would look for, you can find on that website. I have a question. Is there certain people that are more at risk for developing Alzheimer's dementia than others? Is there a certain age group or a certain people with risk factors? Great question. Great question. For early onset types of dementia, there is a genetic factor that could put people higher at risk. However, For the late onset, uh, you are what you eat. You are what you choose to do. People who have put on weight over the years, don't exercise frequently and regularly anymore, that can increase your risk. Diabetes, high blood pressure. In fact, ethnic groups that maybe as children, lots of oils, lots of fat, those kinds of groups. Like I think about people living in the South. So many foods were put in our body as children. Now that you're an adult, if you don't change what you eat and how you take care of your body, you're definitely at a higher risk. There's no magic pill thing that people talk about, oh, this will stop dementia. There's nothing definitive. 
However, there are some foods that are brain foods and like blueberries are considered a, a brain food. There's a whole bunch of different things that you could eat. The mind diet is healthy for people with dementia or higher and, risk. And those foods with omega fatty? Yeah, the omega fatty. So omega-3 at fatty yeah. acids. Yeah, that's good. Yep. That's, that would be in fish. Yep. Things like lentils, that, that's, that's good. I know a lot of people have some concerns with memory and aging. Can you just explain a bit the difference between normal aging and dementia? Start oh, out and you go one place and you're like, wait a minute, why am I here in the refrigerator when I should be in the bed or something like that? What's the difference? Normal aging, especially once they get into their upper 80s and above, one of the first things that are hard are remembering names. It's absolutely normal to forget somebody's name. If it's someone who's been a neighbor like 15 years ago and you can't remember their name, but you know how you know them, that's normal. Mm -hmm. If you forget that's their me. name, <laughs> you don't know how you know them, right. and think, who is this person? Why are they talking to me? Then it might be a dementia. It might be something to check into. It's something more. If you lose your keys or lose something in your house, and you look around, you can't find it, and you're like, forget it, I'm not going to look for it. And then all of a sudden it pops in your head, and you go and get it. Or you find it when you're doing something. I have a roommate who loses her glasses all the time. and she, I'm one you know, of those. She can lose it for days, and then all of a sudden there it is. That's not necessarily dementia. But for example, right. if you find your keys, and you go to the store, and you come out, and you forget how to drive home, that's something that's a problem. So with a dementia, it, it's more serious, but a lot of people are afraid, oh, I'm getting dementia. There is a condition called mild cognitive impairment. And mild cognitive impairment is not dementia. It's like an in-between memory. Uh, you're at a higher risk if you're ever diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. However, that can be improved through diet activities. And the important thing is when we get older, we get in the same old habits and we have to stop. Doing something completely different gets your neuropathways growing a little bit. The hippocampus in your brain can grow a little bit by learning brand new things. For example, you go to the house, you want to open your door, close your eyes and use something else with your senses, your hands, your fingers to find the hole to put the key in and turn it to open the door. That there's something called neurobics. That's one example. Close your eye and write your name on a piece of paper and see what happens. Or even write a sentence, my name is. And you'll be surprised at the outcome. If you have Alzheimer's, visual perceptual skills are impaired. So you can even have eyes open and try and write your name, and it might be very difficult and very hard to read versus a healthy older adult can close their eyes, write their name. They can see what they wrote because our eyes are hardware. The optic nerve is software. So we're seeing, but our brain is telling us what to do. Lisa, tell me, are there any current treatments for Alzheimer's disease and the other types of dementias that you discussed that are irreversible? The treatment is really more behavioral on the part of people who do not have dementia. And the most valuable thing is to learn the proper way to connect with folks. Emotions remain intact through the end stage. 
So you gift your interaction and use a lot of empathy and use a lot of sensory. Multisensory is real effective with people who have dementia. Unfortunately, many of us create more behaviors because we approach somebody wrong or we didn't understand what they wanted. And those kinds of things are a good way to treat. Now, if you're talking about treatment to get better, there are some medications people can take. There's some their Exelon or something called Namenda that can right. help clear things up, but people eventually are going to decline. And I believe those are typically used in the beginning stages. Is that correct? That's correct for yeah. the first two, but Linda is one medication. It's a combination of two meds is something that is given in the middle stages, but that medication actually is designed, not designed, but they found it works much better with vascular dementia. It helps people in the middle stages. Once you reach the end stage of a dementia, there's not really a medication that'll work. But exactly. I'll give you information on another YouTube. It's called The Good News About Dementia. And it does a wonderful job. There's, it's called the Dawn Method, D-A-W-N Method. And the woman who created this did a great job demonstrating what happens to the brain when someone gets dementia. What happens to the left brain and the right brain and the decline? And there is good news about dementia. And I won't say anything more than that because go on YouTube and Google. It's like a, a cartoon, but Google the good news about dementia. And the end of it is dead on. That's it awesome. Is so correct. Here so on the podcast, we talk a lot about people in changing their levels of care and changing the place that they are living at because of their declining medical conditions. What advice would you have for somebody in our audience who is looking for placement for their loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's? Actually, the best advice is to get a checklist. When you go and look at a place, you want to know how many staff do they have per resident, use your senses, how does a place smell? How does it look? What's the noise level like? Now, of course, on a memory care unit, there there's going to be unexpected noises that occur, but is it really loud? Is Are there people watching TV who are falling asleep in a wheelchair, for example? Look for those kinds of things. Ask them if they have a particular approach to care. There's a lot of programs out there now. Are they a person-centered care facility. That's the latest buzzword, even person-directed. Do the loved ones have to follow the schedule of what the facility dictates? Or if I like to sleep in, can I sleep in? And will there be something for me to eat when I wake up? So those kinds of quality of life are important. But do they have trained staff? There are certifications that can, be, that can train staff with information related to dementia. And some are more in depth than others. For example, there's international trainer, her name is Tipa Snow, and she has a very strict, people who are certified with her approach go through a lot of training and a lot of hands-on training versus other places where it's on the web. You simply watch and take notes. There's a company called Relias that a lot of places use for training. And then, of course, become a certified dementia practitioner as Glenora and I are. There is a course and an application that people have to have a certain level of competence to become certified. 
people who work in the field, you need to have more than just six months or less experience. It really looks at the whole person, which is nice. Technologically, there are many other new technological advances. I'm sure we can put them on the website in the show notes, as Wendy states, that they have a lot of things now that a family a loved one can have in their vests, certain kinds of vests that can be worn, different kinds of the systems when something is happening to a loved one. There's many kinds of new developments that I learned about recently. And the Alzheimer's Association is a wealth of information. For example, a lot of alarms that people might have in a pocket or clipped to their clothes right. or around their neck have GPSs. So if exactly. somebody wanders out, they can be found. In fact, the Alzheimer's Association has what they call wayfinding, a program that's available. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot out there that you can use right on your cell phone. I know that you've given us a lot of information and advice on how to probably consider caring for a loved one in the very early or mid or even late stages of church, particularly Alzheimer's disease. But throughout your life as a dementia practitioner and your experience in the recreation field, tell us something that has been especially challenging or a memorable experience that you would like to share in relation to what you do. As I said, I worked with community recreation where I started off with folks with developmental disabilities. My first job at this continuous retirement community, there was a woman who had word salad. She was in a wheelchair and a word salad might be about this thing over there and that. So I knew to just repeat her words and language as a form of connection. And there was a point where she just kept refusing. She would totally refuse medication. And she became very upset and belligerent. Get away, non-verbally, get away. I'm not taking these medications. And one of the nurses, I was working, it was 240 bad units. So tracked me down and asked me if I could help them. And I approached her and just responsively talked to her eye level eye contact, and was able to get her to calm down. However, she still wouldn't take the meds. I spoke with the social worker and we called the family and we asked the kids, when you were young, was there something special your mom did to give you medication? And the son immediately said, oh yeah, we hated medication. Mom used to take Hershey syrup and put it in a teaspoon and hide our medication that way. So with that piece of information, because people with all dementias go back in time, we asked him if he could bring some in to try. And sure enough, with a teaspoon of Hershey's syrup, with her pills in it, she started taking her medicine again. That's how I'd want my medications. And likely <laughs> her mother gave her some kind of syrup yep. to give medication. It's like you have to be a, a memory care detective sometimes. But the reason I was able to calm the woman down is... I would go to her place and it was just a natural thing for me. And this is a lot of years ago. We had a trusting relationship because I didn't, what did you say? Can you repeat that? Or I'm sorry, I don't understand you. We go into the nonverbal. Let's go. Let's look using non nonverbal cues to take them to find whatever it is that, that they're having a problem with or they need or want or 
you follow up with family if you can. But that was such an eye opener to me that I was in the right place. I'm Mm. in the right population. Every place I've worked, I've learned from and have brought that into my dementia world. And it's a wonderful place to be. And I'm very compassionate about what I do to a fault. I'm a strong advocate also, and I don't see myself ever leaving work with the population. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I know I, I, I worked a little bit as a nurse on a, a memory care unit. And then certainly in long-term care, I had plenty of Alzheimer's patients and patients with dementia. And they're really special group of people. And oh, definitely. And yeah. I, I think working with the families is also you become many of the families. You're you're really supporting them just as much as the patient because it can be super painful for somebody who has lovely memories of their kind and gentle mom who his behavior has changed because of what's happening in her brain. And it can be really upsetting and heartbreaking and challenging and they need a lot of support. And that's an awesome point. In my job where I'm at now, I'm now working with people who live in apartments and have been identified as having memory issues. And I go in just to get a history and get to know the person or to see where I can help them with their memory or if they're getting close to having to move to the memory care unit for pair. And what I've learned is families need as much support and education as the individual you work with. I ended up purchasing books and now I bring the family in before I even meet their loved one. Yeah, so I'm sure that's hard because info. people yeah. don't want to move. They don't want to leave what they consider home. There was a resident family member who was constantly pulling staff aside and asking tons and tons of questions and monopolizing staff time. And I ended up conducting a education to her and even gave her a book to read about how to connect with her mom. She was trying to do all this stuff for her mom. The nurse manager said, this woman is not doing that anymore. She's more comfortable in with her mom instead of trying to fix things around her mom. Sure. So it's important. Okay. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So this is the part of our podcast where we will review any feedback or questions received and give you some resources if you need to continue your research. We received a review on Apple Podcasts. Julie Lindemuth writes, my friend Wendy invited me to check out this podcast and I'm so glad I did. My husband and I moved back to our home state to be close to my mom and father-in-law both of whom in recent years lost their spouses. I have been praying for resources to help me navigate these family transitions, and this podcast is an answer to those prayers. Thank you, Wendy, Cookie, and Pinky, for sharing your years of experience with those of us who need help caring for the seniors we love. And I feel like I've had a lot of my friends kind of change where they live because of being in the sandwich generation. Their kids are independent now or off to college. And I've had three close friends that have moved back to the area of where their parents are to help out their aging parents. So it's a phenomena that I think we see very frequently. Thank you, Julie, for your continued support. 
Pinky had to drop off, so we'll have to wait till next week. Pinky has been coming to us from India the last two weeks. So we really thank Pinky so much. I think she has to get up at five o'clock in the morning to do these. And she was having some connectivity issues. So we're just going to continue without her, but she will bring us our acronyms and next week. And I guess I'll have to do the Pinky joke this week. Please do the Pinky joke. Lisa, do you have any recommendations for resources or people that people could utilize when seeking more information on Alzheimer's? Absolutely. The biggest one, of course, is the Alzheimer's Association. There's the local, the Alzheimer's Association of Maryland is located in Towson, Maryland, and they have their own site with information and supports. And let me just say, even though it's called the Alzheimer's Association, it's not just Alzheimer's. Anybody who has questions, concerns, want education about dementia, the Alzheimer's Association is a place to go. There's an organization called the Foundation of America that has some information. And I'll, Wendy, I'm going to give you all these links that you can put on the, on the podcast. That would be great. Because there's a bunch more. I spoke earlier of Tipa Snow and she has, especially for families, a lot of free materials and videos on Yeah, that would be great. I know me, I'm a really visual learner. So I automatically go to a video or a podcast or something that I don't want to read about it. I really want it to come to me. That's not the kind of learner I am. So also the National Alzheimer's Association is www.alz.org. They have tons of information and a 24-7 helpline, which is 1-800-272-3900. I also found Alzheimer's.gov is sponsored by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Human Services and National Institutes of Health, and they have a lot of clinical trials that you can sign up for if you would like, and we will put those on the show notes and website as well. And there's also the CDC also has a website where it's called Alzheimer's Disease and Health Aging. I constantly or go to the CDC. They have a lot on all topics of health. All right. I will take over for the joke. This week's joke is how are stars like dentures? Both come out at night. Okay. So that is our show for today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. We would like to give a special thank you to Lisa Klerman spending her time and sharing her knowledge and experience with our audience today. Uh, Lisa, do you have a way that people in the Maryland area could reach you? Sure. I have a personal email. The only thing I'd like people to know is to please let me know that you have a question from the podcast. And my email address is lclerman61gmail.com. So please subscribe to our upcoming episodes. We will be releasing new episodes every other Tuesday morning. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future topics, we really are open to anything senior related. I know we've mostly been doing healthcare topics, but we do want to expand into finance and recreation and anything that you think you'd like to hear about. We are definitely open to it. Please visit our website at www.seniorscast.com. You can email us at seniors at seniorscast.com. If you would like to help us get our young podcast off the ground, 
please give our podcast a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Cookie. And I'm Wendy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.